So we're continuing our series in the book of Proverbs, talking about different ways that God gives us wisdom for all the different situations that we face uh, just in our lives. And so this morning we come to the topic of, of work, which we all have going on in our lives right now, even if you're retired. There's still work to do. There's still things around the house or things out in the yard. We still have roles and responsibilities to take care of. And even if you're a student and you're like, well, I don't actually necessarily have a job or a full-time job, hey, you're not off the hook either because school and all that homework you have to do and, and test prepare for, well, that's, that's work too. So don't worry. You don't get, just get to you know, hit the snooze button and call it a day. This is still helpful for you as well. Now, the problem with work is that, well, work can be uh, a four-letter word pretty much for all of us, right? It can be uh, just a sense of dread. It can turn into a cuss word. It can turn into a, ah, it's Monday again. Seriously, I have to go back to work. Like, we just don't always like it, which is kind of sad because that's not the way that God intended it. Because if you go back to the Genesis narrative in the very first few pages of your Bible where God created the world, uh, you'll notice Adam and Eve actually had work to do. They were supposed to tend to the Garden of Eden, and that was before the fall happened. So before the fall, Adam and Eve had a job to do. They had work to do in the garden. But it wasn't uh, the way work is for us today. It wasn't supposed to be bad. It was good. And so God always intended for work to be something that's good. But obviously, because sin entered the picture, work just isn't the way it's supposed to. Instead of giving us fulfillment, sometimes it just drives us crazy. It exhausts us. It wears us out. Uh, sometimes maybe you've looked at your paycheck and thought, I can't believe I'm doing this for this amount of money. Or you've like, I wish somebody would pay me for this. Or you're just like, I can't believe I have to put up with this person. Or I can't believe I have to put up with these customers. Or I can't believe I have to put up with this boss. Like you've just had those moments where you, you dread going to work. It's not fun. It's stressful. It's exhausting. I mean, we do all kinds of things to escape work, get out of work, um, you know, maybe you've called in sick before to work or to school. Like, you're not really sick, but you're just like, I'm not going today. So, you know, cough, cough. I think I have COVID, question mark. I'm not going. You know, back in my day, it was you, you hide the uh, thermometer near a light bulb and try to convince your parents you're running a fever so they'll let you stay home. Uh, that's probably changed. You probably have some new tactics that you use. But work just isn't, it's just not fun as it used to be. It's not pleasant like it used to be. It's not fulfilling like God intended it to be. So we have all these challenges. And, you know, one of the ways I saw this growing up is, you know, when I grew up in Kansas, we had a lot of farmers in our community and a lot of farmers uh, that went to our church. And all the time, uh, let me just tell you, farmers complain about everything. Well, at least the ones in Kansas do, because something was always wrong. It was either too dry, too wet, too cold, too hot, not enough hours in the day, too many hours in the day. I mean, there, there was always a problem, right? And so constantly, prayer requests at church would be, we need more rain because it's dry, or we need less rain because it's already way too wet, or we need more sunshine because we got to get harvest done, or whatever, whatever it is. And the reason for that is if, if you farm or if you've had any experience in farming, you know, I mean, your life is at the mercy of weather and the earth, right? I mean, if the harvest is too wet, you can't quite go out and get it because it might get moldy and gross before you're able to transport it. 
to a safe destination, you know, it's got to get dry. If a dangerous storm rolls in, it can destroy your crop before you can harvest it, and that directly impacts your income, and that changes your plans. You may have planned after harvest, like, hey, we're going to be able to put some money aside for this, or we can make repairs on the house, or we can get a new car, or we need some new equipment. And if your harvest gets damaged, you may not have the money to do those things that you planned. Or suddenly your house payment, just things get a little tighter. And all of us, even if we're not farmers, we experience similar challenges at work. Times where just the money isn't what we want it to be, or we're stressed out because of what we've got to do, or our you know, coworkers get on our nerves. And this becomes incredibly, just incredibly difficult. And if you're a college student or a senior in high school, everyone who's ever been in that stage of life knows the, the most exciting question, I'm sure you all love getting this question, is, uh, so hey, what are you going to do when you grow up? Or hey, what's next? Like, what are you going to do when you're done? Right? Like, when you graduate, where are you going to college? What degree are you going to get? And then when you're getting close to being done with college, like, so hey, where are you going to work? What are you going to do? And oftentimes it's, why well, I, I don't, I don't know yet. I don't have it figured out. And so often, right, that's just difficult. Because again, what, are, what am I going to do for a career for my whole life? It's, it's a tough question, and it can drive us crazy. And when work doesn't go well, we try to escape it a lot of times. We work really, really hard, and then we take these long vacations because we just need to get away from it, and we just, we're tired, we're exhausted, or we just like, well, I'll put up with work so that you know, I, can, I can at least have some nice things that I enjoy. But I hate this job, but at least I've got some money to do what I want. Or... We just kind of have a mindset of, well, I'm just going to work really, really hard, and then one day I can retire, and then I can do what I want. But that's not actually God's vision for work at all. He actually intends for work to be good and helpful to us. And so the book of Proverbs, one of the ways that it talks about work is with these two characters. And a couple weeks ago, you would probably remember Caleb talked about one of his favorite characters in the book of Proverbs, which I'm going to have to talk to him about this later because his favorite character is the sluggard. But the sluggard is kind of Proverbs' example for like what maybe not to do. So let me just run you through just um, a couple character studies, one of the sluggard and one of this wise or diligent worker. So here's how Proverbs explains the sluggard. So first is, the sluggard is, well, lazy. He's lazy. As one proverb says, a sluggard buries his hand in the dish, he is too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. In other words, the sluggard is so lazy, you put a plate of food in front of him, and like he'll reach down to like, you know, grab the cheeseburger or, you know, get a scoop of mashed potatoes, but then he's so lazy, he won't bring his hand back up to his mouth to eat. Like he's, he's that lazy. Like he can't even eat. And there's another proverb that that says, the lazy do not roast any game, but the diligent feed on the riches of the hunt. So the lazy, they don't even like cook. And maybe it's also because they don't have food to cook. That could be the implication. But the sluggard is just lazy. Doesn't do what he's supposed to do. Second, the sluggard loves sleep. As Proverbs 6, 9 says, how long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? Now look, I I love sleep too, all right? This isn't that, hey, I really, I really enjoy when I get, get my eight or nine hours in every night. That's not what this means. This is like, well, this next proverb, let me read you this. Proverbs 26, 14. As a door turns on its hinges, 
So a sluggard turns on his bed. In other words, it's time to get up, but the sluggard doesn't, right? The alarm is going off. There are things to do. Snooze, 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 like over and over. Like the sluggard knows he's supposed to be at work, but he just stays in bed a little while longer. And that's a little bit longer, a lot longer. There's, there's maybe his kids are like, hey, you know, mom, dad, help. And like, nope, I'm going to stay in bed. Like the sluggard, it's not just that he, you know, enjoy, he loves sleep. He can't get enough of it. And even when he should get out of bed, he doesn't. Here's the third thing. The sluggard lacks initiative. He lacks initiative. Proverbs 22.13 says, The sluggard says, There's a lion outside. I'll be killed in the public square. In other words, there's always an excuse. Right? Like, you could also kind of put this as like, the sluggard is a procrastinator. Like, there's always an excuse. There's always a reason not to go to work. And this little example of, well, there's a lion in the public square. That's probably a little bit of an exaggeration, right? Like, there's not really a lion, but there's, there's always an excuse, right? The dog ate my homework, uh, you know, whatever it is. There's always some reason to not go to work. There's always some reason to not get the job done. Charles Spurgeon once said about, you know, people like this, he says, these sorts of people, they take great pains to escape from great pains. So in other words, rather than just showing up a couple minutes late and saying, hey, I'm so sorry, I had a tough time getting out of bed, they'll instead weave this elaborate story of why they're three hours late to work. Well, I got up on time, but then this happened, and this happened, and you know, my car engine died, and I changed the flat tire, and I helped an old lady cross the road. And like, It's like, dude, just, just be honest, right? But not, not the slugger. That's not what the slugger does. Another proverb says, sluggards do not plow in season, and so at harvest time, they look, but they find nothing. Because procrastinators, that's what sluggards are. They procrastinate. You know, one time I saw a little uh, picture on the internet that said, procrastinators unite, dot, 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 tomorrow. Right? That's, that's kind of the motto of the sluggard. If I can do it tomorrow, I'll just, I'll just do it tomorrow. And then when tomorrow comes, I'll just do that tomorrow. And then I'll just do that tomorrow. And eventually nothing gets done, and you have a mess on your hands. Next, the sluggard is self-deceived. Proverb 26.16, the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who answer discreetly. In other words, the sluggard, all these things can be pointed out to him, all these things can be shown to him, and he still thinks he's right. Like, it doesn't matter how many people you gather together, because you know, in the Bible, seven is a number of perfection or completion. So it's not just literally seven men. It's you can get any number of people who are wise and smart and intelligent. And even though you have all these people who agree and tell the slugger, hey, you really should get up on time. Or, hey, do you realize it would help if you harvested at the right season or, or whatever? He's still going to say, no, 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 no. You guys, you've got it all wrong. Like, I know what's best. And so that's just one of the things about the slugger is he thinks he's right, but he's not. And no matter how many people try to tell him he's wrong, nope, he's not going to hear it. He's not going to buy it. Here's the next thing about the sluggard. A sluggard causes destruction. Proverbs 18.9, one who is slack in his work is brother to one who destroys. In other words, laziness goes hand in hand with destruction. And this will probably help make that 
uh, that proverb make a little more sense. This is Caleb's favorite proverb. If you remember him saying this a couple weeks ago. Proverb 10.26, as vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so are sluggards to those who send them. In other words, a sluggard is bad for business. You would not want to send a sluggard to like advertise for your company. You would not want to be their reference on a job application. You're just like, nope, they're bad for business. They leave destruction in their wake because of all these other things that they do. So let me give you a, kind of this picture. Proverbs gives this picture that kind of helps put all these together. So in Proverbs chapter 24, verses 30 through 34, we read this. I went past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds, and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart what I observed, and learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. Now, if you kind of, you know, at first glance, you hear that a little, you know, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands, it kind of sounds like if you take a break at all, any kind of rest, any kind of break, and you're in trouble. So, hey, there's no time for rest. you got to keep working. That's not really what the proverb is saying. Because if you pay attention to the first part of that picture, this man describes he goes by the house of a sluggard, and it's overgrown with weeds. The fence is torn down. The house, the paint is chipped. It's in disarray. Those are not things that happen because you took a little power nap in the afternoon or because you took a vacation in the summer. Those are things that happen when over and over and over again. You don't do the work that you've been assigned to do. You stay in bed when there's things to be done. You're lazy. You don't take initiative. It's like you need somebody else to tell you what to do. If you do that over and over again, that's the picture. That's not a proverb to say, hey, you can never take a break. That's a proverb to say what happens when these things the slugger does become consistent of your life. Because I don't think anyone's ever, you know, like on a Saturday when you need to mow the yard, it's not like, well, I'm going to take a quick power nap, and then I'll go mow the yard. It's not like, well, the yard needs mowed, and then you wake up from your power nap, and it's overgrown, and there's weeds everywhere, right? That doesn't happen in, in, in a short span of time. That happens after a couple weeks of, eh, I'll just mow tomorrow. Eh, I'll mow next Saturday. Eh, I can wait a month. It's fine. And that's the image that Proverbs gives of this sluggard. And Proverbs also gives consequences to this sluggard. Because this kind of way of laziness just means that you're going to have um, poverty and hunger. You're going to also be a disgrace to your family. Because God did not intend for work to be bad. And so the sluggard has decided, for some reason, work is bad. Work's not worth it. I don't need to do it. And there's some serious consequences that come with it. But let's be honest. None of us want to be the sluggard. Like, none of us want to be voted in high school most likely to be a sluggard. Like, we don't want that. And if we find ourselves maybe identifying with a couple of these things, it might be a surprise or a shock. And we didn't intentionally try to get there. So let's, let's turn the page, and let's look instead at this other character, the diligent worker. So this is the other way that Proverbs puts this. So first, it's just, let's just state the obvious. The diligent worker is a hard worker. Proverbs chapter 6 gives this kind of metaphor of an ant. 
So it says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. In other words, if you watch an ant, you see that it, it works hard. It works when it needs to. It's constantly working together with the other ants to carry food and dig tunnels and do whatever's needed. And the rest of chapter 6 kind of goes through for several verses and talks about this ant and lays out some different examples. So just to state the obvious, the diligent worker is not the slugger, which means he's a hard worker. And the second thing is also the opposite of the sluggard. Whereas the sluggard doesn't take initiative, the diligent worker does take initiative. Because if you were to keep going in chapter 6, the very next verse, it has no commander, no overseer, or ruler. In other words, the diligent worker doesn't necessarily need somebody over their shoulder telling them how to do their job, telling them what needs done. They learn their job, and they have eyes to see what needs to be done. Right? This is the custodian who goes into a building, and they don't need somebody else to come and tell them, hey, that wall needs painted. Hey, the floors need vacuumed. They can, they can tell, oh yeah, that wall doesn't look good. I'm going to fix it. They can see the things that are a problem and take care of it. Right? They don't need constant supervision. Right? They, they're able to figure it out and do what needs to be done. Next, the diligent worker is prepared. Well, we'll just keep going in chapter 6, that next verse. Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Another proverb says, the plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage. So the diligent worker, they, they know about the future. They do their best to predict and plan for things. They're not always going to get it right, but they get ready. They know there's a time to harvest, and they need to save some of that harvest for later when there's not as much food. They know they need to put money away in savings for different things, they, they just know they've got to be ready for maybe some emergencies or some unexpected problems that might come up, and they do their best to get ready for that. That's what the diligent worker does. Next, the diligent worker performs work with excellence. Proverb twenty two twenty nine. Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will stand before kings. Now, you know what's really interesting to me is the very first time in the Bible that the word wise is used in Hebrew is in the book of Exodus. And it's not talking about really smart people. It's talking about workers. The first two people that God calls wise have these really fun names. And they show up in the book of Exodus, and God calls these two guys in Exodus chapter, let me make sure I get this right for you, Exodus chapter 28. And he says these two guys, they're going to build the tabernacle, which is where God's presence is going to live. And the other guy, he's going to create the clothing for the high priest to very specific dimensions. And it says that God's spirit came on these men and they became wise for doing these things. So wisdom isn't just about what you know up here, it's, it's what you do with your hands. So yeah, being excellent in your job, getting better at it, learning, learning a skill and improving upon it, that's a good thing. That's, that's part of God's plan. And if you do really well, I mean, we all know you can look out and see when you do a good job, generally your status starts to rise a little bit. And we know that's not always true, but generally when you do really good work, people want you to do the job. And you get a little better reputation and more people come asking for help. And some people with bigger projects, bigger contracts, bigger companies, they want you to come work for them because they see what you've done. The last thing about this, this diligent worker 
is this worker patiently pursues success. Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies will have their fill of poverty. In other words, they're not getting distracted by you know, kind of the, the get-rich-quick schemes or little pyramid schemes or whatever. They're, they're focused on knowing that if I work hard and I keep working, that's going to help prepare me for the future. That's going to help set me up, right? They understand that, hey, at first I might have to start small, but if I do well with a few things, I can, I can grow my business or I can grow my clients or I can, I can learn to do a little bit more and I can handle more. They know how that works. And they understand success, it just takes, it takes some time. And of course, Proverbs also says, well, if you live like the worker, you, you, you're going to find your own rewards. And they talk about that as, you know, you're going to have fulfillment in work, you're going to have uh, financial success, you're going to be given respect, and you're going to be able to rejo- enjoy the fruit of your labor, whether that's finances or knowing you have a job well done or having people who really respect you or trust you because they see the good work you do. Right? There's, there's things that come with that. So Simon Sinek, is a, he's kind of this leadership coach. He's written a number of books, and uh, what really propelled him is he gave a TED Talk, man, several years ago now, called Start With Why. And so he's spoken a lot, been interviewed a lot, um, and been just a leadership business consultant for a lot of people. And uh, just a few years back, he gave this interview that kind of you know, broke the internet. It rapidly got millions of views in a short amount of time. And he was asked what's called the millennial question, which is, well, how do you deal with like, people in my generation? Like, how do you deal with them? Because he said every time he goes consult, to consult anybody, they ask, well, Simon, what do we do about millennials? Because they show up and they want free food and beanbag chairs and they want to make an impact, but, but they just don't fit our work culture. Like, what do we do? And so we talked through a lot of that, but there's just one specific part of this interview I want you to hear. So take a listen to this. I keep meeting these wonderful, fantastic, idealistic, hardworking, smart kids. They've just graduated school. They're in their entry-level job. I sit down with them and I go, how's it going? They go, I think I'm going to quit. I'm like, why? They're like, I'm not making an impact. I'm like, you've been here eight months. <laughs> you know? It's as if they're standing at the foot of a mountain and they have this abstract concept called impact that they want to have in the world, which is the summit. What they don't see is the mountain. I don't care if you go up the mountain quickly or slowly, but there's still a mountain. And so what this young generation needs to learn is patience. That some things that really, really matter, like love or job fulfillment, joy, love of life, self-confidence, a skill set, any of these things, all of these things take time. Sometimes you can expedite pieces of it, but the overall journey is arduous and long and difficult. And if you don't ask for help and learn that skill set, you will fall off the mountain or you will, the worst case scenario, the worst case scenario, and we're already seeing it, the worst case scenario is we're seeing an increase in suicide rates. We're seeing an increase in this generation. We're seeing an increase in accidental deaths due to drug overdoses. We're seeing more and more kids drop out of school or take leaves of absence due to depression. Unheard of. These are all, this is, this is really bad. The best case scenario the best, those are all bad cases, right? The best case scenario is you'll have an entire population growing up and going through life and just never really finding joy. They'll never really find deep, deep fulfillment 
in work or in life. They'll just, just waft through life and it'll be just, it's fine. How, how, how's your job? It's fine, it's the same as yesterday. How's your relationship? It's fine. Like that's, that's the best case scenario. So what I want you to get from that is a couple things. First is he talks about kind of this, this mountain. Because I know for a lot of us, you've probably seen somebody, and it, it seems like they're already at the top of the mountain, and they got there faster than you, they're younger than you, and, and, and you, you want to be on the mountain as well. But what Simon's talking about, and what Proverbs points to as well is, is there's this mountain, and you've got to climb it, and that takes diligent work. It's hard work. It takes time. You've got to apply yourself. You've got to be patient. You've got to be okay with some failures and some setbacks. But there's a mountain to climb. And yeah, when you get to the top, you'll be amazed at what God does with you. But you've got to let him get you up the mountain first. The second part of that is what he was talking about at the end, which is, the rising rates that we're seeing in depression and suicide and even the potential for just there to be no joy. Because I think what Simon's hitting on is actually where the book of Proverbs and God's wisdom in the world comes into play. That work can actually be meaningful and joyful. You don't have to feel like you're stuck in a job you hate. Because there's so much more to work than just grinding away for a paycheck or, or whatever it is. And so here's where I think the answer to this problem of work is this. It's not work harder. Now, maybe some of you this morning, that's, that's just what you needed. You needed a little kick in the pants from seeing the sluggard and the wise worker, and you just need to hear, you know what, I just need to get up on time, and I just need to work a little harder. But for most of us, that ain't going to work for very long. Like, yeah, you'll work harder, but eventually you'll go back into old habits. What we really need is a heart change. And I think that heart change is to work differently. Because I think when we turn to laziness, when we start to look like the sluggard, it's because we're tired of the hustle and the grind. We're tired of working just for a paycheck. We're tired of it always being about these goals or these measurables. We just kind of get sick of it. We're like, what's, what's the good of this? Like, where is this getting us anyway? And so maybe staying in bed a little longer sounds like a better deal than trying to just make a sales quota. Or just skipping work someday is like, well, it's not so bad. Because after all, like, I'm just, I just don't want to go deal with that coworker today. I'm, just, I'm sick of it. That's just kind of what happens. But I think God's wisdom tells us that we can work differently. So I want to show you this picture of, of a sign, and I'm sure you've seen this, right? Caution, road, work, ahead. And that's what this message is called, Caution, Work Ahead. Because when you come into a work zone, you've got to change the rules of how you drive, right? You can't go 70, 75 miles an hour down the highway anymore. You've got to slow down. And you may have had multiple lanes, but now they merge down into just one or two lanes, right? And you may even have a guy holding a sign that stops you, and you've got to wait for construction to pass through or for traffic to come the opposite direction, and it slows you down. It takes longer to get where you're going. So many of us are frustrated with work zones, but you've got to change your rules in a work zone. Otherwise, it's really dangerous. And the same is true for how we go to work. Because I think part of the solution is we have to work differently. We have to let God become part of our work. 
Let me put it this way. I think the Apostle Paul hit on the wisdom of Proverbs in the book of Colossians when he wrote this. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. I think here's what Proverbs is getting at. In the perspective of God's wisdom, you're not working for your boss, you're not working for a paycheck, you're not working to just meet goals and criteria. You're working for the Lord. Let me put it this way. Here's how how I'd sum it up. Make God part of your work because your work matters to God. Make God part of your work because your work matters to God. Because here's the deal. You know, there used to be a time where um, there was kind of a divide we called sacred and secular, and it was like, well, if you're a Christian, real work is in the church, like ministry. That's real work. Everything else, you just do that because you have to. That's not the way I think that Proverbs sees it. I think the way God sees it is your job matters because it's how he designed the world to work. We need farmers to help produce food. We need chefs to cook food. We need teachers to provide education. We need doctors and EMS and police to help keep us safe and take care of us in emergencies. We need people to deliver the mail and make sure our, you know, our Amazon deliveries get somewhere on time. Right? We, no matter what your job is, it is important because we need you. And your work matters to God, no matter what it is. It matters. Even if you just feel like, man, I'm just, I'm just a student. I go to school. I listen to my teacher. I do homework. I play some sports. God still says that matters. You're learning. You're growing. You're making friendships. God still says, yeah, that, that matters. I think Paul hit that just right on the head. You know, Martin Luther, uh, back in the Reformation, the 1500s, he wrote and spoke a lot about work, and let me sum it up the way that he talked about it. So he said something like this. Next time you go to a restaurant and you, you order food, God's providing that plate of food. He's just doing it through the cooks in the back and your server. The next time you need a mechanic to work on your car, God's grace is fixing your car. He's just choosing to use a mechanic to fix your car. See, it's not just that your work just matters to God because of it's important, but it's God's using you to extend grace to other people. His grace of fixing things that's broken. His grace of teaching you and growing you. His grace in forgiving you or helping you learn something. He uses us to bring grace very practically to other people through our jobs and through our work. And even if you don't have an actual job, if you're retired, like God still uses your work to bring others grace. Whether it's an encouraging card you write or a visit with a friend or just helping somebody get to the grocery store or whatever it is. God is using you to provide grace. Whether it's to your friend or a coworker you see when you have a business exchange, like you're providing grace to that worker at Kroger when you get your groceries. That's how God's using us, and that's the wisdom of work. So let let God become a part of your work because your work matters to God. 
So here's just a couple ways I want to give you to, to live it out. There's, there's so many ways you could, but let me just give you two. One is pray over your work each day. Just on your way when you're driving in, just pray over the things you have to do, the people you're going to interact with. Just pray over it. Pray that God would use you as a vehicle of grace to somebody else. The second thing is talk to yourself differently about work. Because I really think it makes a difference when so many times we, even if we, just to ourselves, we complain about work, like, oh, like even if, just let's take a coworker, for example. If just kind of what you say to yourself about your coworker is, oh, they're so frustrating, they just drive me nuts, I can't believe they ask these stupid questions, and they're always gossiping, you know, whatever it is. What if you just changed how you talked about that person, right? What, what if you chose to instead describe the good you see in them? Like, man, they're, they're awesome at details, they could really help me with my work and my details. Or you say something like, like, my goodness, they're just, they're so friendly and they're easy to talk with. I mean, if you just change your language, change your language about your job, I think that'll help, help you out. So with all of these things, all of these things, your job matters to God. Your work matters to God because it's how he's extending his grace to others. And I think more than anything else, we don't just get up in the morning for a paycheck. I mean, yeah, we need a paycheck, sure. And yeah, it's important to meet goals and hit quotas and grow a business and interact with customers. Sure, all those things are important. But what matters the most to God is that in the work we do, we are demonstrating his grace to others. That's part of his plan to reach the whole world. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, I'm so thankful for your vision of work, and I'm so thankful that we're actually getting to work for you. Because it's the greatest, greatest occupation any of us could have. Because Lord, whether we're a teacher, a doctor, a delivery person, whether we're, we work in, in a restaurant or a coffee shop, or whether maybe we've just we've been retired for many years or struggling even right now to, to have a job or find a job. God, you use our work, whatever it is, whatever form it takes, to show others grace. And so please help us be extensions of that grace. And I just pray for forgiveness for the times where maybe we've been more like the sluggard and we've just stayed in bed a little too long or we've kind of procrastinated or given up on an opportunity that you've put right in front of us. And more than anything else, Jesus, through your Holy Spirit, would you help us show love through our work to those around us. In your name I pray, amen.